Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USA football today. We're back from vacation. We had Coach Harvey Hyde on Monday. I had every intention of doing a show yesterday. The things got a little crazy trying to get back from vacation. Everything has been going on. Uh, Pac-12 media days are Thursday and Friday. So we wanted to get a show in beforehand. A um, little behind the scenes. Trying to get hold of Gerard. He had stuff going on. Dan, he had stuff going on. So we're doing a solo podcast today. Just me. Just me. I'm going to talk about USC football. I'm going to try to answer the questions that have come in on the Parastyle podcast and uh, talk about everything that's been going on, summer workouts and all of that. Of course, Pac-12 Media Day, counting down to fall camp. The actual uh, USC media guide was released today. Fall camp starts one month from today. Today's actually the slowest sports day in the in the country uh, with nothing going on, basically besides the ESPYs and SEC Media Day. That's about it, what's going on. So want to talk some USC football uh, with you guys. If you have any questions or comments, I'm still going to have Gerard to come on. We're going to try sometime this week. I know with Pac-12 media dates, it'll be tough, but I want Gerard to come on, talk some recruiting. Maybe we'll do a little segment with Dan at Pac-12 media Day. So We'll try to do that. Stay tuned for that. But if you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can give us a call 641-715-3900 extension 816 646, that's our mailbox, or you can leave us a web, uh, go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail there. Of course, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. We're also on Google Play. I, I, you know, if you're an Android user out there, you can check, uh, search for the Peristyle Podcast on Google Play. I'm just, I just found out about that. I didn't even know that we were on that. So we are. We're on Stitcher Radio, lots of different ways you can get, uh, and consume the show. So hope you guys are enjoying it. And, uh, you know, trying to do the Peristyle podcast a couple times a week. We took a couple weeks off for vacation and uh, the opening, but we'll be back uh, all fall, all the rest of the summer, all fall through the recruiting season. Lots and lots of Peristyle podcast episodes. Send us your ideas. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk about everything that's going on in the world of USC football and recruiting. All right. Well, let's jump right into the questions and uh, we'll play a voicemail question for you first. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, this uh, question is for you on D-Web. I uh, wanted to know your guys' opinion on this. Um, I know that for college uh, athletes, there's a limit um, as far as the, the time a coach can spend with them and so on, and uh, um, not not so much for it or uh, against it or what have you. Don't know too too, too much about it, but I uh, did want your opinion on it and see if, you know, um, if that's kind of a, a good rule, good limit, or if you think it should be explored again and, kind of reevaluated maybe they should get more time with the kids um and and kind of be able to mentor them and pour into them a little bit more especially with all the uh off-field issues uh, but anyway love to hear your opinions and uh daniel weber so uh yeah thanks bye now all right thanks for the question of course uh dan weber is not on the show today but you know we can talk about this with him uh, when we have him back on, if we do the Pac-12 Media Day deal, but just kind of my opinion on what's going on with that. You know, there's, there's, it's put there for a reason. Um, I mean, it's, they're supposed to be student athletes and they're not supposed to be, you know, 
<laughs> coach 24 hours a day and, and just focused on football. Um, so you have the 15 practices in spring, uh, limited in the number of hours and all of that. And there's times like during the summer right now where the coaches can be on the field and working with the players, um, in conditioning and, and agility and things like that. Uh, you can go through plays. You can't have a football out there. So they're not quote unquote, you know, real practices where there's a football. Um, so, you know, no pads, things like that. They're in shorts and t-shirts. So I, I, I get the reasons why there's limitations. Now, the, the, it's interesting that the coaches that can be with the players the most, uh, during the season, you know, do, you know, throughout the year are the strength and conditioning coaches. So there is some sort of mentor authority figure, you could say with the players fairly often, even if the head coach and the assistant coaches can't be with them out in the field and they, you know, they can see them in meeting rooms and things like that. It's really just limitations of guys on the field with footballs, wearing pads and being coached. That's really what the limitation is. So the, they're, you know, they can still have mentors around as far as the off field stuff. You can't obviously watch 120 players or whatever it is, 24 hours a day. That's just not going to happen. Um, so you have to try to instill your values in the players, just like if you're a parent and hope when they're out on their own, uh, they do the right thing. Obviously it doesn't happen all the time. We see plenty of off field, you know, uh, issues and it comes up in every program in the country. So it's, it's nothing you can avoid. You want to try to limit it as much as possible. Um, as far as extending that, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure that's something that's been on the NCAA's radar, uh, lately. You know, the spring practice limitation and things like that. I mean, you, you get the reasons why they would do that. I think probably abuse, uh, potential abuse is one of the reasons. Like if you extend the limits, I mean, you, you know, if you're watching the SEC media days at all, uh, you know, talk about it just means more. We've seen players there from, uh, you know, Mississippi State and Alabama. Uh, pretty bad off-field stuff, um, and, and no or limited punishments. Um, it's a, and as coaches get paid more, it's a big business. Um, the more you allow, you know, the, the, the leaner you, the, the, the more lenient you get with the rules, I guess you could say, definitely the more coaches and programs would push things. So I probably, my guess is it's probably in a good spot right now. Do you want these players practicing more during the season? Um, and during fall camp? I mean, I think you know, as far as practice times at fall camp, I mean, you're allowed to do more. USC has never practiced as much as you're even allowed to do. And it's, it's gotten, um, you know, two a days have been limited a lot more. I think if anything, practice times are being cut down, uh, as opposed to uh, adding on and less hitting and things like that. So you could argue that's good or bad for the game, but schools on their own volition are kind of peeling back or, or taking a step backwards as opposed to. Uh, adding more. I think the big, the, the, the additions you're talking about would be other times during the season. So allowing regular practices during the summer where they have pads and everything like that. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, it's, it's certainly something they could look at. I just don't know, you know, adding stuff in the fall. I don't think anyone would really, I, I just don't see that having as major impact that schools themselves are backing off a little bit. But it would be where, okay, you could have 25 spring practices instead of 15, or you can have, you know, five padded practices over the summer or something like that. So you got to give these guys some downtime. They don't have a lot. I mean, the coaches don't have a lot. Their coaches, USA coaches are on vacation right now for the most part. Um, they get some time in July. It depends on which program you are, but these players are out there, you know, four days a week, uh, doing conditioning and things like that. Two days a week, they're still throwing the football. So they're still. Uh, involved in team activities. They're still reminded about the team. It's not like they go off for three months and not do anything. So 
Um, yeah, that's kind of my take on things. I, I, I don't see it really, uh, happening. I haven't seen a real big push for that, but thanks for the question and thanks for the voicemail. Uh, let's see. Tarek had a question with the addition of Stevie T. Um, and I still, I apologize. I've still not, um, learned the pronunciation of his name. I'm not going to butcher it, but the transfer, a defensive tackle from, uh, Utah, isn't it necessary to try? Is it still necessary to try an offensive lineman on the defensive line? I know Khalil Rogers was there Friday, but it seems like there are enough bodies now. And uh, Khalil Rogers was there again Tuesday morning. We were at the summer workout and we saw Stevie, uh, out there as well. Uh, you know, playing in the middle, defensive tackle. Um, yeah, I, I, my guess would be I'd, I'd rather see Khalil Rogers on the offensive side of the ball, to be honest. I think, uh, you know, he's coming along at center there. Um, I'd like to see him kind of get some reps there. It's really interesting what's happening at center. We saw Nico Fala, uh, getting a lot of first team reps, uh, Toa Lobendon coming back. He was getting mostly second team reps on Tuesday, but I think that'll eventually switch. But, um, there's good depth there on the, on the offensive line. I didn't really like when Chuma Doga did some time on the defensive line earlier in the summer and not a huge fan of the Khalil Rogers move either, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure if you need to move anybody at this point. I kind of agree with you, Tarek, but, um, you know, it's, it's something they're playing around with. I think we'll know more once fall camp starts and we'll get to talk to Clay Helton tomorrow about potentially moving guys and what he feels the, the depth is and things like that. Now he's not going to be able to talk about Stevie at all because he's a blue shirt. Um, Actually, well, he might. He might be able to be if he's signed. I think he can sign a financial aid paperwork. But because he's a transfer, there might be some kind of issues there. So uh, Stevie T is really not on the the team yet. He'll be giving a be given a scholarship on the second day of fall camp. So when he's on campus, we're not allowed to talk to him because um, he's a, a recruitable athlete. Um, so that's why you haven't really heard from him. Uh, so he's not really on the team yet. And we can't talk to the freshmen. They, they don't allow us to talk to the freshmen yet. So that's kind of what's been going on there. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I, I don't see, I don't really see the need to move anyone at this point. If someone else gets injured, maybe. Uh, but we'll talk to Clay Helton about that on, uh, Pac-12 Media Day and kind of find out. Let's see. We got Marcel and Diamond Bar. It was reported, uh, over the July 4th weekend that the University of Alabama self-reported 19 secondary violations. Does this mean the NCAA will not punish or investigate? And is this a new trend? The last team to get hammered by the NCAA was, as you know, USC. That was it. And, uh, I just don't see the NCAA having the kind of teeth, uh, it did before, uh, trying to avoid this stuff more than anything. I think when you're talking about secondary violations and stuff, that's just, that was never going to be a big deal anyway. Uh, if, t- if a program is on probation and things like that, it's going to have to be something big and it's going to have to be obvious. Like, I don't think you're going to see some investigation where the NCAA digs up something. It's going to be the media does. Um, it's, you know, it, it's really got to be a cut and dry thing. And I think they could hammer somebody, but it's, you're not going to see anything where they're out there looking and, and looking bad again, like they did with USC. Uh, the more disturbing thing is that, you know, Nick Saban and Paul Feinbaum got in a little bit of a fight today. We saw uh, Dan Mullen yesterday uh, only suspending his player that uh, there was a video of him and a pretty gross video of him, domestic violence, uh, only suspending him for one game against a, a, a cupcake team. Uh, Nick Saban not suspending his two players who were, you know, arrested in a car with a gun and drugs and, you know, no charges ended up being filed and, 
Um, he's, you know, he was saying innocent and proven guilty. I just have a hard time picturing. I think in the Pac-12, if that happened, you know, these players were arrested. There was drugs. There was a gun. Um, yeah, I don't think they'd be playing in the first game or second game. I mean, I think there would be at least something. And it's not, you know, they're not, you're not seeing that at some of the other programs. And, it, you know, that's as the business gets bigger and it's getting bigger and bigger and you're fighting for, for money and, and the TV money and you're paying your coaches. $7 million a year. Um, that, this stuff is taken seriously and they're going to overlook things. If it's a five star player and a two star player, they're going to be treated differently if they're getting trouble with the law. That's just the way it's going to be. And I think you're not going to see it as much here, especially at a program like USC. They're over, I mean, they're oversensitive, I think, because of the sanctions. And, and you could argue that you shouldn't be that way. But I think if that's something that happened at, at USC, that player suspended. I mean, we saw like with, with Josh Shaw and, and, you know, when there's a question, um, you're going to suspend them. And this is, you're, you're talking like arrests and everything, uh, and evidence. And even though charges weren't filed, yeah, I, I have a hard time picturing if those two players were at USC or UCLA or, uh, Washington that they would be playing in the opener, uh, against a big, uh, a big program like USC, Alabama, anything like that. All right. Uh, Eric in Duck Country. I was just in Duck Country uh, last week, Eric. We were up at the opening. Uh, nobody likes the proposed renovation of the Coliseum. Dan seems to be rather optimistic about the idea that the current proposal could change, but I'm not sure. Obviously, the new design benefits those in the luxury boxes, etc. At the end of the day, aren't those the people? Or aren't those the people paying for the renovation, and ultimately the people who need to be happy with the project? Why would they agree to a change? Have you heard of any big boosters being upset with the design? Why is Dan so optimistic? Thanks, Eric and Duck Country. Um, I think Dan is a, an optimistic person to begin with. Uh, but you know, we, we've talked to a lot of sources and he's definitely talked to a lot of people behind the scenes. And it, there does appear to be, um, you know, support for doing this a little bit differently and, and changing things up. And because there's such a, a, a long lag time between now and when the project is going to get started, I think that's where some of the optimism uh, comes in. And yeah, no, I think there's, you know, big boosters are going to be a big part of it. They're raising money now, but it doesn't, it's not like there was a lot of big boosters on some committee that came up with the renovation or anything either. Um, you know, I, I think there's, it's going to, it's a change in philosophy is what I guess you could say, where do you need to have 92,000 people all the time? You, you do for a couple of games, you don't need it all the time, but there's a lot of games where it's going to be sold out. Um, and you could have definitely sold more tickets. You could have had more fans come to the game. There'll be games like that for sure. And if, if USC goes on a run again, like they did with Pete Carroll, then you were seeing a lot of times where, uh, you know, that 75,000 or whatever it is, is not going to be enough to cover all the people that are going to be, uh, in the game. So yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I share as much optimism just because I've seen what's been happening around USC and sometimes you see them make a decision and it doesn't matter what the people say and doesn't matter how unpopular it is. That's what their decision is. Um, and you, you know, with hiring, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm not quite as optimistic as Dan, but because there is so much lag time between now and when it gets started, I think there's certainly an opportunity there for it, but. I don't think it's going to come from just within USC. I think it's going to have to be, like you said, big boosters, uh, other people getting involved, some kind of 
uh, petition, whatever it is, something that gets their attention. I think they know, and you know, I think Pat Hayden knew, and we'll see with Lin Swan, new leadership, what he finds out. I mean, that's that's another thing where you got a new athletic director. If every other phone call he takes is, I hate the Coliseum renovation, and you know, that's something that he would need to look at. The feeling I'm getting from Lin Swan, and we'll see if he's at Pac-12 Media Day tomorrow and we get to talk to him, but um feeling I'm getting is that he, you know, and when you hire someone that's never done this before, he's going to come in and not really be, okay, here's my plan. I'm doing this and this and this, and I, this is where I've done before. He's got to come in and pretty much learn what's already happening. And if he feels like, well, I think we could tweak this or change this a little bit, then he'll do that. But I think it's going to be something that takes a little bit of time for him to get acclimated because he's never been an athletic director before. If you hired like the Arizona athletic director, he would come in. He knows game plans already. He would look at the USC game plan say, oh, I like that or I don't and move things around. Um, for Lin Swan, it's just going to be more about kind of learning what is all, all the systems that are already in place. Um, one of the reasons I argued you needed to bring in an experienced athletic director because I thought there's some changes that needed to be made. Um, but you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Lin Swan, but he does have the opportunity if he gets a lot of, uh, if there's a groundswell of, uh, negative support, I guess you could say, uh, complaints about this new Coliseum renovation, then, um, I think there's something he could take action because he has time. If they were breaking ground tomorrow, yeah, there's not going to be time to do that, but th- he's got a lot of time in which to be able to do that. Okay. So let's see. Uh, another question. This is from Bear Secutor. He said, Jack Jones, class of 2020, may end up being the best freshman cornerback in USC history. Name your all-time true freshman team for USC football. I'll give you a start with some suggestions. All right, just just to start off, Bear Secutor, I've not done any research on this. I am not going to be able to do it. I'll read your suggestions. And if anyone comes to mind, which I won't, but uh, what I'm going to do is ask everyone um We'll look at Bear Secutor's list of uh, best all-time freshmen for USC football. Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, who you think should be on the list. And then we'll talk with Dan about this, too, uh, on the next show um, when we have Dan on again. But who do you think should be the best all-time freshman? So quarterback, he has Matt Barkley, um, you know, started as a freshman. It's funny, a lot of positions where you didn't have freshmen start, you know, kind of makes sense. Um, you could go back to Todd Marinovich. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman. If you're going to, I don't know if you're talking about true freshman or just redshirt freshman. Oh, he, oh, he said true freshman. Okay. never mind. So you wouldn't say, uh, Todd Marinovich, Matt Barkley, true freshman. Okay. Um, no one else jumps off the, you know, I don't know if anyone else has really started. So that's probably a lock. Uh, Ronald Jones and Mike Garrett as a close second. Okay. Both started as true freshman fullback, Marcus Allen. Interesting that he was a. Fullback as a freshman, but he was, um, you know, I'll take that. You know, can't think of any fullbacks that were, uh, you know, I wonder what, um, so not some of Anuku, uh, why am I blanking on, uh, crap? I'm, I'll have to think of his name, but there was another, uh, fullback USC had. Uh, let's see. Freshman wide receiver Mike Williams. I do remember him at fall camp and seeing him. I think he was wearing number 19 at the time before he switched to number one. He was like a three star. Uh, receiver from Florida, just so much bigger than everyone else. You're like, who the heck is that guy? And just obviously tore things up. Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Dwayne Jarrett, Marquis Lee, or the aforementioned Lynn Swan. Uh, it's a lot of freshmen that are in the running there. Um, yeah, the run that the USC receivers has made recently just been kind of crazy. And Juju Smith 
little more unique, um, not his freshman run, but when, you know, as a sophomore, he always had, there was always a Batman and Robin and, uh, Juju Smith was the Robin to, um, the Batman of Nelson Aguilar. Unfortunately, when Juju moved on to be a sophomore, there was no, uh, Robin for him. There was just kind of a, a cast of characters. So that was part of the problem, but that's, you know, one of the things that made him so great last year is just he had to do so much. Um, tight end young or Fred Davis. I'm not sure which young he's talking about. I'll think about that. Offensive line, Matt Khalil, Tyron Smith, Toa Lobadon, Chris O'Dowd, Jeff Byers, Max Turek, or Ron Yeary. Um, interesting list there. Yeah, Tyron Smith. I remember watching uh, Tyron Smith when he came out. We were watching, I think it was at one of the uh, the offensive lineman camp, the lineman camp for USC. He just looked, he looked like more like a defensive lineman. He was so ripped. And you're like, that's an offensive lineman guy? And obviously he went on and, you know, Highly paid and uh, compensate, well compensated uh, member of the Dallas Cowboys now. So good list there. Um, as far as defensive line, Leonard Williams, he did come in and, and make an impact. Sean Cody, unique there because he was like the first real big Pete Carroll recruit. So you could argue that was a big deal. Mike Patterson and uh, Gary Jeter, who I can't tell you much about. Um, linebacker Cameron Smith, big, big time. Even though he got hurt last year, man, he had a big time year. Brian Cushing. Uh, Richard Woods, you know, he ended up being a three, three time All American. That's a pretty good one. Uh, Jack Del Rio, Keith Rivers, uh, Clay, Chris Claiborne, or Matt Grudegood, another one. So a bunch of good, uh, linebackers in that group. Quarterback, Nikel Roby, uh, Dory Jackson. I think you could argue Nikori, uh, Dory had a way better freshman year, or, or at least better freshman year than he did sophomore year. He did come in and, and play a big role. Safety, Marvell Tell, Ronnie Lott, Tim McDonald. Uh, kicker, David Beeler. Um, I don't remember. I thought he was a transfer. I'll have to look that up. Uh, David Beeler. I thought, yeah, I thought he, I thought he transferred in. So let me look at that and make sure. But man, that guy had a leg. And then punter Tom Malone. I think that's a pretty good one. Uh, I'll leave it to you where the earlier guys like the McKeever twins, Richard Woods, Baselli, Munoz, Del Rio, Lott, Seau, Arnett, Guinness, Bedsole, et cetera, belongs. I don't have a good recollection of their freshman seasons. And either do I, uh, Bear Secutor. So, yeah, write us in, podcast at uscfootball.com. Maybe it was someone that was a freshman there when you were in school or someone you followed very closely. Who are your all-time true freshman contributors for USC football? That's a good one. I like that topic, Bear Secutor. Uh, let's see. Earl in West L.A., does the USC basketball program offer the same guidance and information about a player's draft potential as a football program? It seems that Julian Jacobs and Nikola Janovic uh, were terribly misinformed about their draft potential. Do they succumb to bad advice from sports agents? How hard did Andy Edfield try to convince them that their draft choices were nil? They didn't even get offered to sign as free agents. What a shame for these kids and the basketball program. Also, is there some provision to allow them to come back to school, finish their degree? Earl in West LA, not my area of expertise, Earl. Uh, but from the guys I talked to, Shotgun follows us pretty closely. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there was other reason. It wasn't. I don't think these either of these guys left because they thought they were going to get drafted in the NBA. I think there was more a chance for Julian Jacobs um, to to potentially do that. Uh, but for Nikola, like I think he just wanted to kind of play overseas. It just wasn't. Uh, it, it it just wasn't going the direction they wanted to go. I think there was different reasons besides, um, hey, I want to be drafted in the NBA. If they go to the NBA team, they would love that. But I don't think 
they thought, oh, we're going to be a second round pick for sure. And that's why they came out. But the thing is, uh, both of those guys are actually, uh, you know, participating in the NBA in the summer leagues. So, uh, um, Julian Jacobs, uh, with the Indiana Pacers, he actually had a buzzer beater at one of the end of the summer games. And, uh, Nicola, I think he started with the Pistons and now, uh, doing stuff with the Lakers. So he's still, uh, you know, he's doing LA stuff. So it's kind of interesting. So, you know, they got a shot, but I don't think this was about when they declared, I think it was more about other factors as opposed to, um, Hey, I think we're going to be drafted. All right. Uh, next question, Neil, our buddy Neil in Manila. Uh, which USC player or players went under the radar last year and look poised for a breakout year in your guys' opinion, based on what you've seen so far through the spring and summer? Thanks. Uh, Neil and Manila. Really interesting, uh, question there, Neil. Let's, I'm going to go by position and kind of look and share my thoughts. As far as quarterback goes, I mean, either one, someone's under the radar and is going to be the starter. So that's pretty easy. Um, I don't think you're going to see any kind of thing at, at running back as far as someone going under the radar. Like maybe a Dominic Davis could come in and, and contribute a lot, but there's, uh, you know, I think you kind of know the stars there, Ronald Jones and Justin Davis. Um, I think wide receiver, there's a lot of opportunities there too. Um, you know, who is going to be the Robin to the Juju Smith's Batman? Is it Steven Mitchell? Is it, uh, Deontay Burnett? Is it, um, you know, any of the transfer guys, Isaac Whitney or Daquan Hampton, Darius Rogers, one of the true freshmen. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, you could argue all those guys besides Juju are under the radar at receiver and any of them, any of them, I think are capable of stepping up and, uh, and contributing there. I think for tight ends, I mean, the whole position, I think was under the radar. They just didn't contribute a whole lot last year. Um, so maybe it's a Tyler Petit and he has a, a really big game. I think you're going to see them more involved, not just in the, four yard pass is, you know, into the end zone for a touchdown every once in a while, but like a 15 yard pass down the middle to get a first down in the middle of the field. That's where we never saw the tight ends. And I think you're going to see more of that this year. So, so a lot of potential there. Uh, offensive line, probably not. You've seen most of those guys. I wouldn't say some under the radar guy is going to jump up and, and get you on the defensive line. I mean, a lot of opportunities there. You got so many guys leaving last year. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how like under the radar regime green was, but I kind of feel he's going to have uh, a really big year, um, you know, doing that. And, you know, anyone, any of the new guys coming in, certainly for, for linebacker, um, you know, maybe a guy like a Jabari Ruffin, he finally kind of breaks through and you, and you see what he can do. Uh, but really for me, uh, Quentin Powell is a guy that there's so much potential there, even on Michael Hutchings too, but guys, those guys were, kind of buried on the depth chart. No one really, uh, they never really given much of an opportunity. And then we saw in the spring starting to, you know, getting a lot of first team reps and things like that. So you really could argue they were under the radar and now have a great opportunity to come in and contribute, especially Quentin Powell. I just think he makes so many plays. Uh, there's big opportunities there. Uh, corner. Hmm. I mean, Jack Jones is not under the radar because he's a five-star guy coming in. I think you kind of seen most of those guys and, and what you can see from there. And it's safety. Um, I think you have a pretty good idea, you know, if it's McQuay or Plattenberg or Hawkins or Tell, um, you know, even like a, you know, Achille Ross, who's a, you know, red shirted and, uh, you know, he's been out there again in summer workouts. Maybe Achille Ross out of that group because he's more of the under the radar type. Um, and I, you know, don't really know, you know, special teams. It's like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't know if you want to consider those guys. 
under the radar. But you know, I think there's a bunch of different potential guys in that group, uh, Neil, that could be in there. And, uh, you know, especially looking at receiver, someone's got to step up and be like the number two guy. Um, Bear Secutor wanted to know, since you're so impressed with Jack Jones' debut on the practice field, can you compare him with your first looks at Biggie Marshall, Adoree Jackson, and Nikel Roby at this stage at DB? Um, yeah, so I think with Iman Marshall, there's more of a, I mean, just his pure size and the fact that he plays corner, there's an intimidation factor. There's a, a an overall aggressiveness that he just, you know, is kind of unique to him. Uh, Adoree is just so smooth and natural. Um, but I think he's similar. Like, if you want to compare the two, I think him and Jack Jones are similar. Nikel Roby wasn't tall, but there was like a stockiness to him. Um, and yet, you know, it's, there were, you know, I, I don't think you saw the same sort of, man, that guy's going to be really good. I mean, you thought he was going to be good, but there's, there's more of that kind of five star feel, I guess, with both Adore Jackson and, uh, Jack Jones, just in my opinion. Nikel Roby's obviously gone on and, you know, he wasn't even drafted and, and ends up, you know, having a good, uh, NFL career so far. So good stuff there. But for, for Jack Jones, there's, there's, you know, you want to say natural, there's like natural ability there. He's not going to be like the, the speed burner that a Dory Jackson is. So he's not going to be quite as, you know, as fast, but there's, there's, in, you can tell that there's instincts there. You could tell that he's just kind of a guy that puts himself in the right place at the right time. Multiple interceptions so far this summer in the workouts. Uh, he's, uh, you know, really enjoys locking people up. He'll get beaten stuff too. And it's, you know, part of the learning process, but, He's a, a unique dude, you know, kind of, he's not the biggest guy in the world, you know, slender dude. Um, so I think of those three, probably most similar to Adore Jackson, but those guys, they each have kind of their unique features as well. But, um, he's going to be fun to watch. So if you get a chance to come out and check out fall camp, uh, he's one of those guys you should, um, you should definitely, uh, check out. All right. And here we got our last question. Um, this is our buddy Dan from the class, USC class of 1962. He said he enjoyed Dan Weber's comments about the Pac-12 network. The pathetic exposure, not only for football, but for all sports, is hurting the Pac-12's national image. USC would be a great fit in the Big 12, especially if UCLA, Cal, Stanford, and the Arizona schools joined as well. The Big 12 could have a southern division with four existing Big 12 schools in one division and keep natural rivalries. The emphasis by Larry Scott to placate the smaller Pac-12 schools whose vote matter, whose votes mean as much as USC and UCLA. Uh, this is the way he's keeping his big salary and the big salaries of his underlings. Either Larry Scott goes or we should go. Your thoughts. I think Dan agrees with you, and I, I actually do too. USC is not the kind of school that would do that, or at least the administration and everyone that's there now, they're not the kind that's like, you know what, screw this. Let's just go independent. But I think there's a real viability there to be able to do that. And you, you could pair up with the UCLA and and go to another conference uh, I think that would be, I mean, super shakeup for college football. Uh, but it's almost like a form of socialism in the Pac-12. And you have, um, you know, the, the Washington states of the world making the exact same amount of money as the USC's of the world. Of course, the, it, you know, if, if it was a ton of money anyway, you know, that's one thing. If you, you look at what the Big Ten is doing, you look at what the SEC is doing. Um, Pac-12 is getting lapped and it's, it's really bad. And, and Larry Scott wanted to sign that $2 billion TV contract, or whatever to look good, but it was for so long 
you never want to sign those things more than five, six years because the landscape changes, uh, revenues double and triple and, um, USC and UCLA and all the rest of the Pac-12 schools are going to be on the outside looking in. They're already on the outside looking in during that deal. And this deal has got many years to go. So it's going to only get worse from here. It's all the discrepancy between the money that USC gets and Ohio State gets and Alabama gets is only going to get worse for years to come. And so, yes, I think it's a, a real problem. I think the Pac-12, well, in, you know, in theory, you're like, Hey, you, you own the whole network, the Pac-12 network. I think that makes sense. In reality, you pair up with people that have done this before. That's what the Big Ten did. That's what the SEC did. And those networks are thriving. And I can get those networks in my living room in Los Angeles. I cannot get the Pac-12 network. Um, so I live, you know, I'm covering the, <laughs> the Pac-12. Uh, I'm covering USC and I can't see stuff on the Pac-12 network in Los Angeles. And there's so many people that are on the same lot, you know, same. Uh, mindset. You just, you can't get it. It's not your fault. It's just the, you know, you want to switch providers so you can get it. No, I don't want to switch providers for something like that. So it's a big problem. We'll be at the PAC 12, uh, media day tomorrow and Larry Scott's going to do his spin on everything. And, uh, year after year after year, no direct TV, uh, no Fios. No, I mean, it's just, and now with, uh, AT&T and direct TV, um, you know, you, the PAC 12 network is on AT&T and that's probably going to go away because they're going to move all that business to, Direct TV. So Larry Scott thought when AT&T acquired Direct TV that it would put the Pac-12 network on Direct TV. It actually could work the opposite where Direct TV kind of takes over all of the uh, television aspect and the Pac-12 network goes away on those, those uh, areas. So it's, uh, it's a mess. And I, I am someone that th- feels if you want to be aggressive, USC could do an independent thing. Uh, it works well for Notre Dame. I think, you, you know, it, and I, you know, I'll, it's good to be in a conference for some reason, but I think of a program like USC would be capable of doing that. And just not, you know, not really like the USC fan base and the Alabama fan base. There's no comparison. Like in the SEC, it just, it does mean more. That's their motto. It means more now. Now a program like USC, you can get close to something like that, but it's still not there. Um, but because there's such a lack of independent programs out there, there's not a whole bunch of them. It would be Notre Dame and USC really as the big ones there. And I think there's an opportunity to do that. But, you know, maybe what would make more sense is joining like the Big 12 or going in a different direction. And I think USC would make a ton more money by doing that. I think the way that USC would make the least amount of money is staying where it is. I think there's great opportunities. There's, certainly there's risk. Um, But this is big time college football. And as long as USC doesn't fall on its face and, and be absolutely terrible... Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Do I think USC will do that? No. Is this a pipe dream? I don't think it's a pipe dream because it's not possible. I think it's a pipe dream because that's not the mindset of, of USC. Uh, this is for our buddy Dan, class of 1962. Everything we've seen before, that's not really what the mindset is. If, t- so I'll tell you this. If USC had the opportunity, if Pete Carroll would come back, I don't think USC would hire them at him at this point. And the reason is he had so much power. He had so much control. I don't think that's what the administration wants right now. I think you want someone who, you know, and even in the case of Lynn Swan, you know, people that are, that are uh, lacking experience at the job that you've hired them for. 
And they're less likely to question everything that's going on. They're less likely to rock the boat. I just, for, you know, good or bad, I don't think it's good. I think it's bad. I just think that's the mentality around USC right now. And I, I, you know, you want to achieve greatness. I don't think that's the mentality you kind of go in with. So will USC jump and go to a conference and go independent or even talk about it, even just to threaten that would be, I think you could have amazing results. You could get the Pac-12 scrambling and, okay, hey, we got to change things up. We got to do things. Just the fact that that could happen. I don't think Larry Scott thinks that USC would ever even think about doing something like that. And I think he's exactly right. I don't think the way USC is structured right now, they would. Should they? I mean, it's easy for me to say this. It's, you know, I don't have millions of dollars and all that stuff at stake. Uh, but I've been around the program a long time. I know what's going on. I really think if you're looking at the best interests of the program, uh, as a school and everything, there's great opportunities out there to do that. And there's legal stuff. There's, there, I mean, it's not certainly not easy. It's not like you can flip a switch, but there's paths you can go down and there's, there's opportunities there you can explore. I don't think USC is exploring any of them. And I really think they should. All right. Well, that's our solo podcast for today. So again, Pac-12 Network, uh, Pac-12 Media Day, Thursday, Friday. USC goes on Thursday morning. So we'll be down there covering it live for you, tweeting and posting stuff on the message board. So, um, you'll have, uh, Adore Jackson, which is an interesting choice as a player representative and Zach Banner. Uh, Zach Banner makes a lot of sense. Um, Adore Jackson, interesting. He's not really been around. He didn't take participate in spring football. He hasn't really t- took part in summer workouts. Um, you know, he was doing all the track stuff. So to see him being like a player representative, we haven't seen him since the holiday bowl. So I'm not exactly sure why that was, but you know, it, interesting choice. There's been a lot of interesting decisions made by USC the last couple of years. This is just one of them. Is it a big deal now? I mean, how much does it really matter which player comes down there? But having a guy that really hasn't been around since the bowl game, not even in spring practice, like, well, I'm not sure how much he's going to have to say and contribute to, uh, what this current team is just because he hasn't been around all that much. But, but anyway, so Pac-12 Media Day, we'll have stuff from that. I'm going to try to do maybe a shorter segment with Dan Weber from Pac-12 Media Day. So, if you have any, if you get this tonight, you listen. If you have any questions for the Parastyle Podcast or Dan, uh, following Pac-12 Media Day, send them in, tweet us, whatever, at Inside Troy is my Twitter or podcast at uscfootball.com. Send them in and we'll try to, we'll do our best to answer those. And again, like I want to have a Gerard Martinez, uh, appearance here on the Parastyle Podcast too. We're going to try to get a, a podcast talking about recruiting. We'd already have a lot of recruiting questions and we have a lot to talk about from the opening. So we'll try to get to all of that as soon as we possibly can. But thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com, and I will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.